rather than having made prudent life choices all along, most of us tend to only seek healthful solutions once we've had a scare in the form of a diagnosis or event. This is HealthScape with Dr. Trevor Campbell. In this program, we'll show you the techniques, innovations, and holistic ideas that you can use to put yourself on the path to better health. Now, here is Dr. Trevor Campbell. Hello, and welcome to HealthScape. I'm your host, Dr. Trevor Campbell. Today's topic is chronic pain and how to empower yourself. The nature of chronic pain is still way too poorly understood by the public. Many people, including a good deal who suffer from it, see it merely as the persistence of the more common sudden onset or acute type of pain, rather than a distinct disorder or disease complete with brain changes that can be seen on special imaging like functional MRIs. Much of the solution lies in the psychological and social aspects, and experts agree that this has to be an essential part of the treatment plan in order for recovery to occur. It also dictates that many of the changes and much of the work needs to be made and done by the patients themselves, as the term psychosocial encompasses a great deal, namely one's entire life appreciation and experience. More plainly stated, the treating physicians simply can't do it all. Our guest today is Dr. Carl Zars, a brief bio follows. Dr. Carl Zars, owner of Idaho Sp Spine and Pain Management, Empowering Solutions and Immunex2, is a double board certified physician in anesthesia, the American Board of Interventional Pain Physicians, Advanced Interventional Techniques, and is also a re regenerative medicine specialist. He is best known for empowering men and women over 40 years of age by teaching them to age with power, especially when living with chronic injury or pain. Dr. Z's passion is helping his patients outmaneuver age, aging and flipping the chronic injury script, whether a lifelong athlete or someone needing help turning back the clock. Dr. Z breaks down the science to show you that simple home-based tools and techniques uh, will get you sleeping, stretching, strengthening, and energizing, as well as showing you the easier way to build your immunity, muscle, and recovery via supplements, superfoods, and more. Dr. Z's practice says in Idaho Spine and Pain is... He's also the developer of Immunex2, a strategic supplement, and Enhance X4, a concentrated organic H superfood nutritional power. Powder, sorry. Dr. Um, Dr. Z, welcome to Healthscape. Glad to have you with us. Thank you. That's great to be here. I really appreciate you having me. So chronic pain, as we know, affects about a quarter of the population in advanced or so-called aging Western countries. Yet, even with this huge prevalence, it has historically been poorly taught at physician undergraduate level, by and large underfunded, and many of us find it odd that it has never ever been proclaimed a public health crisis. Why do you think this is the case? Well, I think that it's, it's really been uh, recent developments that we're actually starting to understand how pain works and the physiology behind pain. Uh, if you go past 20 years, even back when I was in medical school, we were taught that the central nervous system is static, that there is no changes, and um, mm -hmm. there's no way to to alter it. And we've we've found over time that that's that's not correct at all. It's it, there's a high amount of neuroplasticity. Uh, it's constantly changing and strengthening the connections uh, between uh, different neurons in the central nervous system. And so I think that it's just been a, a, a late to the game kind of understanding uh, and we're kind of playing catch up. Uh, I also think that, you know, the way the funding structure is set up out there, uh, there's other, you know, there's other focuses that industry has on whether it's a device or a, or a drug that a lot of the research is focused on. And I think pain, unfortunately, uh, can take a, a backseat to that. Right, right. No, for sure. Um, it's it's and, and it's also like where I live is quite an aged city um, in Canada, 
and uh, it's it, a lot of older people in their advanced age and the focus is of course on eyes uh, heart conditions and joints uh, joint replacements and so and of course the argument especially in a publicly funded country like canada is they can't fund everything right right okay so we know that experts almost unanimously advise a biopsychosocial approach meaning that obviously the psychological and social uh, aspect should be addressed preferably concurrently with the biomedical, and that it can also be or should also be a multimodal approach, which means it may include, of course, various categories of treatment, um, drugs, injection therapy, and so forth. The two barriers, um, the two big barriers are, I find, is advising interventions that don't sound to the patient as typically medical. You know, I've had a few people who have not had a good understanding, well, quite a few people who don't have a good understanding saying, but I, I need drugs, this is serious. And uh, yeah, yeah, they get that too. But the point is, we have to reverse some of these almost learned behaviors. I mean, two learning theories of pain we already have. And the other one is instilling the idea that apparently small daily interventions are accumulative and can confer massive benefit over time. In fact, I often make the point that these benefits, if done in concert with each other, are more often summative than simply additive. Can you please expand on this? Yeah, this is a this is sort of a concept I try to explain to my patients. You know, I often see them sort of at the end stage of their chronic pain to the point that it's been developing. Uh, slowly over time getting worse and worse. And I try to emphasize to them, you know, you didn't get here overnight. This took oh. steady steps in a certain direction to get you to where now you're feeling this pain all the time. And you've you've reinforced your central nervous system in such a way that, you know, mm -hmm. this pain, it fires at lower thresholds, it fires for longer and it fires more intensely. So it's almost kind of gotten out of control and can't be trusted. And in order to get back to, where it's a manageable state, it's gonna take constant, steady, incremental efforts to get back to that point. There's no single you know, magic bullet, there's no single treatment that'll take it away. Uh, but I, I encourage them to, to get an understanding of, of how they develop their condition they're in, and then how can they work backwards and that it really is, it's, it, it's largely dependent on small, steady steps going in the other direction um, and, and that, you know, not to be discouraged, they, they won't see a lot of gains early on, but with continual small effort, they will, they will make great gains and, and that's key to controlling pain over the long run. Right, and of course, the other thing is that until they understand pain, chronic pain at least, they're gonna always, it's gonna seem, the advice is gonna seem counterintuitive to them because mm -hmm. when something hurts, you kind of like, you do less, a lot less. And we're telling them the opposites and doing all these things. What was what has been the most sort of effective way that you've won patients over to the idea that they greatly determine their own outcome? Um, you know that, that that they eventually will have, and and in in a way, you know, no matter what physician or specialist or team they with that it's largely, we know active treatments kind of outweigh passive treatments any day. Um, now, it's obviously a question that repeatedly comes up with physicians, even in the field. Any new innovative um, approaches that you have come across to secure the all-important buy-in to what they need to be doing? Because it's really lifestyle change, essential, fundamental lifestyle change, right? It is. And, uh, you know, I, I just I created a website, drzars.com, to try to outline sort of the fundamentals that I think every patient really needs to, to do to, to age healthily, age fit, and then also to control their pain. I mean, you're exactly right. We want patients to move as much as they can, not restrict their movement. We want patients to be as strong as they can, uh, not only from muscular strength, but bone density. Uh, we want them to keep their range of motion uh, to prevent, you know, restricted movements and, and, you know, they can maintain their gait and their exercise over time. 
Um, I can't say I have a single most effective one. I try to tailor it to the individual's uh, condition and then work backwards from there. Right. So right. Without question, I, I have most common is neck and back pain. So I'll, I'll try to make it personal with the patient um, mm -hmm. so that it's relatable. And then I try to encourage them. I, I use the, the 1% rule a lot with them. I say, you know, if you just commit to improving your strength and your mobility and your weight by 1% per day, just pick one of those categories that over 365 days, you could be 300% better than you were today, but it takes that constant steady uh, push to get them to right. that state. And, and I also kind of, you know, point out that, you know, the body, if you're going to, if the body's going to regenerate and the body's going to change in a different direction, it's going to be a constant push of, of you pushing it a little bit beyond your comfort zone and letting it heal beyond your comfort zone and, and recuperate. And by making it personal to them and, and encouraging the small steps that I hope I can get them to, to buy in and to stay consistent over time. Yeah, I think that's that's excellent. It's it's so simple, but it's very impactful when you because by the time one sees them, they've often been going for five or more years, right? Yeah. So a year isn't doesn't sound like a huge obstacle. I mean, about one percent isn't very much. I mean, it's going to be the rare patient I would suspect that that would find this an unreasonable thing to accept. One percent. I mean, one can't really go lower than that so so i i think that's good i'm i'm, I'm certainly going to try that one out as well because it's a very we're looking at plausibility here and it's it's a very reasonable thing to say so thank you for that yes no i absolutely and i, I try to do that with everything you know even with resistance exercise i said just give me 20 minutes of solid resistance exercise to strengthen your bones and your muscles and I don't get a lot of resistance when I say 20 minutes. If I tell them an hour, I, I get a lot of resistance. Yes. But, yes. You know, 20 <laughs> minutes, can you give me 20? Yeah. Uh, so, so we just, you know, and then if we can get them to stick to it, they'll probably do 25 or 30 as time goes on because they're going to notice yes. the, uh, the improvement in their lives. They're going to. Yeah. And um, no, there's certainly another thing that, you know, helps right at the start. I found I only started doing this in the last few years is, you know, they often come with the, the descriptions very moving of how, how bad things are. But we have to, I tell them we have to move beyond the descriptive phase where we come up with new analogies and uh, where they generally come up. And I listen to analogies and grinding superlatives almost of how bad it is because that's not where the solution lies. What we, we have to focus on the future and... Um, and you're you're right. You know, if you give something that's doable and reasonable, it is really hard to say no or to put in little effort. Exactly. Um, so, as we as we know, well, um, people in chronic pain typically have the comorbidities or other conditions that generally amplify the pain experience uh, in an unfortunate way. And um, most notably, these are the sleep disorders. The sleep dysregulation, the anxiety states, major depression, obesity, and all the complication that brings with diabetes and potentially. And then I, I like to include advanced deconditioning because this is often not really, it's not often cited as a, as a comorbidity, but it includes things like, you know, weakness, loss of flexibility, and, and of course, potential disability when they decide it's now at the page where, stage where they can't possibly work. Mm -hmm. So, um, which, let's just start with sleep disorders. Which interventions or treatments do you uh, most favor for, for sleep disorders? I think the most important thing every patient should be doing to help with their sleep is, is daily exercise, whether it's cardiovascular exercise or resistance exercise. Mm -hmm. I think so much of people's anxiety or depression or their feelings um, could could benefit from just an intense 20-minute workout of either one to get that anxiety off your chest, get those feelings of angst that you've had throughout the day and, and find an outlet uh, to, to express those. Uh, and then once that's been accomplished, I think, you know, I, I emphasize to people that sleep's the most regenerative phase of your day, mm -hmm. and it shouldn't be treated as sort of an afterthought. And I strongly encourage a uh, nighttime sleep routine, uh, you know, devoting 
a solid 30 to 45 minutes of shutting off your phone, quieting mm-hmm. down. You know, I, I like taking my, my, my evening supplement, which has some magnesium and melatonin in it to help bring a calming effect. And then I think you need to get your mind sort of set before you sleep. And I encourage people to do a little bit of whether they like meditation or gratitude journaling, just right. documenting something they're grateful for from the day mm-hmm. and something they're grateful for tomorrow. And, and really thinking about only that, uh, because I think so much of sleep disorders is surrounded by those thoughts that just get brought with you from the day. And it's hard to calm the mind down. And then your mind is wrestling with that while you're sleeping. So the, the first one without question is you've got to give me 20 minutes of exercise, whether that's cardiovascular or resistance, and then mm-hmm. treat your sleep as a, as a serious part of your day where, where the healing goes on. I mean, that's where we secrete yeah. growth hormone. That's where we regenerate our bones and our muscles. That's where we kind of repair the, the damage from the day. And um, I think a lot of times when I, when I put it in those words to them, they sort of think, yeah, gosh, I never really thought of it that way. And by just adding that step, um, it's it's a, sure is a lot more effective than taking a medication. Yeah, no, and it's true. We are bombarded by all kinds of sensational news, as it is, and um, um, you know, just certainly in the chronic pain context, you know, what we focus on grows, and that's one of the drivers of of chronic pain, of course. So, ending the day with something positive is is major, and then of course the the, the big thing as well is all this. Um, as you mentioned, the um, emission, you know, tablets and and um, the uh, phones and computers and so forth, which has become an epidemic, especially among young people. Yes. Um, okay. So how how then do chronic pain patients? Now I'm assuming, and and I, ho- I hope I'm not misassuming, the chronic pain patients are like the post injury patients, or are they not your pa- patient group that are post injury? Are they not necessarily diagnosed with chronic pain? No, Is they it? certainly are. I'd say the two broad categories would be post-injury uh, or okay. you know long-term degenerative multiple surgeries, uh, right. age, age-related degenerative changes that leads to chronic pain. Okay, okay. So how do chronic pain patients maximize their mobility and strength? What, what well, are you offering? So I, you know, with, with each individual patient, we've got to kind of center around what is their problem area, and and so once we once we know that, um, I tend to rely on some therapists that I work with a lot, and just say, okay, around this injured area, here are the things that you can do, and here's the things that you can't do. Um, but regardless of what your situation is, whether you've had five knee surgeries or three back surgeries or three neck surgeries. Um, a, a good physical therapist and, and your doctor can kind of say, all right, here's, here's some non-impact um, exercises that we can focus on, and here's the things that you can do safely, and here's the things you don't. So that's, that's what I would tell anybody is, you know, anyone with chronic pain has at least met with a physical therapist once and should, should visit with them more. But physical therapy is not, I go three, four sessions and I'm done. It's an educational session. It's a session right. where you're learning about your injury and then you're taking that knowledge and you're continuing it going forward. And that's another talk I have to have with people is they'll say, well, I did PT and it didn't work. And I said, what, yes. are you doing your PT every day? Yeah. And they said, oh, yeah. well, no, no, <laughs> this, you know, we don't, we've, we've got to maintain these gains. We can't just stop. I mean, oh, and I, I use analogies about elite athletes and that kind of thing. I mean, Every athlete is always training and always practicing. Mm. And we got to kind of wrap our head around that when we've been faced with an injury or a chronic right. uh, pain, this is, this is your sort of sport to deal with for the rest of your life. And there's no reason to get depressed about it. We all have our issues, but you've got to be dedicated and you've got to have a, a focused routine around that injury so that you maintain that strength, you maintain your gait, maintain your balance. Um, I mean, as, as you said, I completely agree with you. I think that this sort of disuse atrophy that people get over time is not being talked about enough uh, because if you lose your lean body mass and your bone density uh, over time, you know, once you get to the point that you start having pathologic fractures and, and you don't have any lean body mass, it's hard to reverse at that time. Yes. So, I, you know, I've got to, I've got to scare them a little bit sometimes if I'm not seeing the the connection with the positive aspect you know and that's the other unfortunate thing is i have the 
I have the the benefit of seeing these people every day, and I just think to myself, man, I wish I wish the general public could see this because they know they'd be more motivated to to do all those things that we're talking about right now. Right. Now, I've, I've, people are often amazed when I say, you know, the home, it's what you do, get the home exercise program mastered under supervision, mm-hmm. and that will make all the difference. It's got nothing to do with the performance of your, of your, you know, at that stage when you get increases, it's not like, it's because you're doing it yourself, that's the magic ingredient. The exercises are the exercise, but active is 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 key. We see people after an accident, they they want to go to four different physical therapists, well, a, a physiotherapist, a chiro, a kinesiologist, and so on. And all that happens is they get sometimes get given passive stuff. They don't get better. And if they did, they couldn't be able to decide which therapy worked. And it's punitive going to all these appointments, I would think, right? Absolutely. So, Okay, so um, diet must be an important part because it is daily due diligence. And we always on about how everything you do daily is important. So be sure you need to do it or you're aware of its effects. So current wisdom now, more and more we're hearing um, a plant-based whole food diet, which uh, I'm not against, basically. But in a world where we have seen many diets being, you know, fated and eventually falling into discredit or disrepute or just disfavor and being discarded, what uh, dietary interventions do you advise? Well, I think I'm, I'm open to a lot of different options, just like you are. I think the diet that a person can stick to would be number one. So right. some people like plant-based, some people like, you know, uh, the uh, the keto, you know, whatever you whatever you can do to, to stay consistent, I'm, I'm behind. But the other thing that I really emphasize is I think everybody should do some form of intermittent fasting throughout the week. I think that people have gotten, you know, they eat consistently throughout the day. Uh, they have lost the ability to switch from glucose to fatty acids. Right. Uh, and it's a great way to lose weight and it increases your insulin sensitivity. Uh, a lot of these processed foods and high sugar foods cause a constant secretion of insulin, which leads to insensitivity. So if I can convince people to do intermittent fasting where they don't eat till noon, at least a couple times a week, if not more, it really helps with their weight loss. It helps with their um, insulin sensitivity. It allows them to mobilize their fatty acids and lose weight. And then I'm also a big advocate for supplements. I think that Mm -hmm. uh, I believe in antioxidants. I believe in the free radical theory of aging. And so I advise people, and it also puts people in a mindset. If I can get you to take your first meal with a handful of, of vitamins, including vitamin C, D, resveratrol, and, and I can get you to you know, commit to some sort of whole food, superfood, or nutrient-dense uh, meal replacement, I found that it just, the, the person then is like, well, maybe I should do some exercise since I took this supplement. Well, maybe I should do the stretching. And they're much less likely to go to a fast food restaurant if they just right. threw down a bunch of vitamins. Uh, uh, so, yeah. You know, and so I, I think that there's a lot of benefits to it. And I, and I, I do believe that our food doesn't have the same nutrient level no. that it used to. And, you know, I'm busy. I, I can't make three salads a day and, 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 and be active and, and work like I do. So I rely heavily on supplements and, uh, and I do think intermittent fasting is one of the easiest ways to, uh, to yes. keep your weight down and, and to be healthy. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I also, what I do say to people often, I like Mediterranean. I say, firstly, it's got a few thousand years behind it and it's enjoyable, you know, so you, you're more likely to, you, you're likely, but I agree, supplements and the fasting has proven very helpful for many people, even if it's a, 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 eight, a 10 hour uh, re- uh, restriction, right? Yes. Or, or limited to ten hours, and and they can lose weight where they previously couldn't. So it's a become a mainstay. And I agree with you. I don't think our food's the same. Uh, it, you know, any mass production quality's got to go down. We just know that. Whether it's fa- whether it's a, a restaurant or, or a clothes manufacturer, uh, it's it's it, scale will 
will bring it down. Uh, in general, I've got to be careful there because I don't really know these industries. But <laughs> yeah, so let's just say the chances are that can come creep in quite easily, right? So yeah, and and I think also just becoming more aware that before people, you know, especially people who are pushed for time shift workers, uh, single people do this as well. They just I've got to have something to eat, but they forget they've had maybe three fa uh, fast food uh, meals a week for the last mm -hmm. month, and this catches. I mean, this this got to catch up. There's nothing wrong with a fast meal, obviously, but as a diet, not you know can be improved on let's just say that um so yeah i am i see we we need to take a brief commercial break so we'll do that quickly and then we'll come back with the rest of the question um okay. it's just time for a quick commercial break you're listening to healthscape on voice america with your host dr trevor campbell and i'm talking to dr carl zars about empowering yourself either post-injury or when in chronic pain. We'll be right back. Are you satisfied with your chronic pain treatment? Chronic pain experts agree that recovery can only occur when the psychological and social issues which help trigger and drive the chronic pain are treated along with the other problems. Medications, injection therapy and a range of physical therapies may provide temporary relief of symptoms but they don't actually address the root causes that drive the chronic pain. I'm Dr. Trevor Campbell, a chronic pain consultant and author of The Language of Pain, a self-help book for those struggling with chronic pain. Add this type of therapy to your existing treatment plan and experience the difference. Get your copy of my book, The Language of Pain, on Amazon. And for further direction, there's also The Language of Pain online course available on my website www.trevorcampbellmd.com Act now to take back your life. You are listening to Healthscape with Dr. Trevor Campbell. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to host at trevorcampbellmd.com Now back to the show. Now, illness should be obviously meticulously avoided. That's always good advice, I guess. But um, not only because of a person with chronic pain being already having a compromised physiology, but also because any illness will generally will increase their pain perception, very likely to do so. Now, when speaking with people to people with chronic pain, is there any kind of metric? Um, um, obviously, no specific metric can be given, but you know, will often be a study that shows that regular exercise above a certain um, a threshold will add to longevity by eight to twelve percent or something. Is there any way we can quantify these other, um, you know, the dietary sleep and and so forth? These these benefits or is that really an, not an entire I mean it's a difficult question but is there some sort of crude range one can give that that sounds plausible you know yeah I'm not aware of anything that I that I that, that could do that um mm -hmm. I, I haven't seen anything that is really quantifiable and reliable I think there's just so much there's so many different there's so many differences By between variables. each person and so many variables i think it would yeah. be hard to, yeah. hard to quantify but uh i again i try to i try to make it as personal as i can um and and if you can do that um yes. you know any, anybody can relate to you know we we want you to be stronger we want you to be have more cardiovascular output we want you to eat better these are all things that everybody can buy and we just have to make it we have to set them up for success and i yes. think that's that's often the challenge right no absolutely um because the and and a lot of the stuff you know could be also that could conf, certainly could confound it if you took four different interventions a lot of their change in behavior generally like even socializing Okay, mm -hmm. you know, things that can't really easily be measured or it wouldn't be included in the study. Okay. Now, in your bio, you talk about flipping the chronic injury script. Now, I'm always on and on about the chronic pain recovery script because I do believe it's a script. It's a composite of the patient's disease narrative, what they need to tell specialists in order to get relief from their symptoms, 
mm-hmm. problems, what they tell family to explain who are concerned because this they feel is dragging on for years. Um, it's a it's based on sort of assumptions and beliefs, sometimes misassumptions that meld into a script. Yeah. And I sometimes see I've I've come across fairly often patients who've in in order to simplify their disease script have fed their family just just because it's more manageable and their friends very much what they tell the physician which is all the negatives because they're wanting relief in a in a short consultation time perhaps mm-hmm. um I, I feel that this does a lot of damage and i get them to look at their script because some of the times you'll see a patient or they'll tell you or the spouse interview the spouse and they'll say, well, at family barbecues, we dish up his food because, and so why do you dish up his food? Well, I mean, he's got this chronic pain and, and I, but he can dish up his food <laughs> or he can, and you know, if you're busy, the, the spouse, he can, and you know, he can unpack the dishwasher. Just take your time and relax and, you know, pace yourself. And what happens is they get treated by family and friends according to the story and not to the reality. And there was a study a while back showing that the spouses, who are often the caregivers, as we know, uh, who were less supportive of the patient, um, the patient had better outcomes. Relations were often strained, but they tended to do better. I just, I, I must dig up that study again. I know it was very interesting to me that uh, we sometimes enable because of our lack of understanding. Uh, when I say we, I mean the family and friends, because we don't fully understand what chronic pain is and that we may be doing the wrong thing, but for, but because our heart's in the right place. And yes. uh, they often shocked to hear that. And I said, no, that happens quite a lot, actually. Because uh, when you interview the spouse, you get tears like saying, well, He's got a special in- instrument in his back that sends off signals they can't manage that and start crying. So it it may be working or not. It 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 may well be working, but the patient's spouse takes it as as a, as a, a sign of severity, which in a way it is. So mm-hmm. th- that's what complicates chronic pain. It's how people react two things sometimes when the knowledge and the knowledge can't be there among lay people you know i mean they cannot right. insight and so forth anyway i guess the question attached to that is this what you find or is your population more uh, the focus is on more on delivering you know um, the, the dietary and the the um the uh, exercise advice, sleep advice, and so forth, therapy. No, I, I find exactly what you do. I think that, you know, there's a codependence that develops between the chronic pain patient and either their spouse or some of those around them. They want to be empathetic to that individual, so they yes. try to help more. But yeah. with that extra help, they, their ability tends to decrease over time. Exactly like you're, you're stating, like they don't, they don't stop. They stop walking. They're in a wheelchair. I mean, I can't tell you how many patients I've had that I say, why, why are you in that wheelchair? And they say, well, I, you know, he just couldn't walk eventually. He just had so much, so much pain. And I have to just reiterate that, you know, you you have to continually push your body. You have to push your body beyond its comfort zone. It's either going to degenerate or it's going to regenerate. Right. And the only way that it's going to regenerate is that if you give your body the stimulation and the nutrition and the, you know, the pushing it to make it do so, it, it won't just do it on its own, especially as, as we get older. So I'm always kind of, you know, you know, we do a lot of interventions. And so I, you know, I always emphasize, okay, we're going to, we're going to do this ablation for you. But after that, you, that's, that's when I'm handing it off to you. That's when you need to really do these exercises that the therapist gave you. We need you to keep that nutrition going. I need you to keep your weight down right. and then let's try to decrease these medications that you're on. You know, if I, yeah, I try yeah. to show that, you know, there's side effects with all these things and, you know, there's no magic bullet. So let's see if we can get you, get you off of these medications. So it, it does take, it takes a concerted effort though, on the part of the practitioners to push them in the other direction that a lot of the medical system have, has pushed them towards us with that, that sort of disability mindset. 
Yes. And um, we've, we've got to do everything we can to try to get them back on course. And it, it's challenging at times. Right. Now, uh, the question that I get, uh, I won't say so often anymore, but um, it keeps emerging that uh, people with chronic back pain see it as a distinct category. Now, obviously, it's often a large part of the body that's affected. It's axial. Things are attached to, to you know, mm -hmm. to the spine. And, and yes, it brings its own. And even the treatments are, the, the actual surgical treatments, obviously, very different and so forth. But um, they feel that somehow that they their treatment were, were, should be different from like a, a painful shoulder from or crush injury of the arm. Mm -hmm. And I, because I deal mostly with this psychosocial, um, I, I just tell them, I said, look, well, from my perspective, it's the same mechanism or mm -hmm. close enough. And, and, you know, the same principles are sound because they firstly sound in general health to do mm -hmm. more of this, more of that. It's all good stuff we, we, we recommending. And, but do you feel that there is validity in that statement that I'm that's possibly being missed? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think, and I, yeah, I think people just have to take a step back and realize that all chronic pain, whether it's back pain or or a crush injury, all all painful signals have an emotional component. And you know, I yes. try to explain. I say, you know, if you stub your toe really hard, you don't stub your toe and have no emotional reaction. Often you're very angry, you're, you're upset, you, you know, you, you get a very strong emotional reaction to that. So you have to realize that with the, the neuroplasticity of the central nervous system, anytime you're feeling chronic pain, no matter where it's from, you're sustaining a, a mental effect from that. You're reinforcing that emotional response, whether you like it or not. So you have to take a, a proactive approach to understand first understand that that's what's happening mm -hmm. and then secondly focus on it to try to unwind that or unwire it uh, as a result of, of feeling that chronic pain right in fact there's a very uh, uh, interesting anecdote by Lorimer Mosley you, you know uh, you're probably familiar with his work he's in Australia I was previously at Oxford and he um, he was in, in the outback in Australia and walking to have a swim in the uh, this lake and he tramped on something with his bare foot and he, he thought he had pierced his, his toe with a, a branch or something. And he thought, well, he's bleeding a bit. He's out in the outback. And he, he went and had his swim. But then it got worse and worse. And when he went to the hospital, I don't know how they found out or, he, or they, someone found he'd been bitten by one of the, probably the third most poisonous snake in, wow. in Australia. And immediately that, that realization came, the pain was just like insane. Mm -hmm. and I found that very interesting. He's a very charismatic speaker and stuff, and he's a professor at one of the universities. I forget which one. But um, it, it just shows you that, that how we think about things. It's very, for me, very graphic illustration of how emotions and cognition how we think about things and, and how we react to that emotionally, just the enormous effect it has on pain perception. So I, I found that very interesting, uh, almost unbelievable, but it's, it's, it, was, it was a very interesting uh, anecdote, I thought. Yeah, that um, is interesting. I, I suspect that the, well, more than suspect, I'm sure there's a great deal of overlap between treatment of chronic pain and the delay or prevention of age-related decline. Yes. I mean, they're, they're, they're intertwined completely. And yes. so that's why when, when I have patients in pain and I start talking about all this anti-aging and uh, approaches, you know, well, why are we talking about this? We, you know, I'm talking about my pain and it's because, you know, pain, you know, as, as we get older and as, as things degenerate, uh, we can develop these chronic pain issues. And so everything we can do to, slow those degenerative processes and keep our bodies healthy and you know including our central nervous system and peripheral nerves we prevent neuropathy if we can it's all intertwined and uh, I, I think there's i try to emphasize to them there's there's nothing more worth your while than investing you know 20 to 30 minutes a day in your health and preventing those long-term degenerative changes mm -hmm. Well, when I tell it more about the biopsychosocial, I said, you know, it just doesn't sound like your doctor's advice. Firstly, your doctor doesn't usually, doctor doesn't have 
a um, hour and a half yes. to spend with you as a family practitioner. No way, right? And right. at least my first consult would be that kind of length of time. And um, and so I said I can do more and and probe more. But I mean, if you think about it, what I'll be recommending doesn't sound medical because you're not used to getting that aspect. You've got conjunctivitis. You don't have to go into the psychosocial particularly. Mm. But the point is that everything you find that I recommend will be sound health practice anyway if you don't have chronic pain. Mm -hmm. So it yeah. shouldn't be too much. It's more the shock of hearing something. What? No easy fix, no drugs. Mm -hmm. something hurts we should have something and they don't understand it's not about the reason painkillers aren't effective is because that's not where the problem lies and explaining to them that even where you sense the pain is coming from um, is not necessary where the problem is you know we know from phantom pain it can feel exactly. where your calf one what once was that got crushed <laughs> and then they start getting the rationale of of you know, like, okay, so I, maybe I should listen to you. <laughs> right, right. Helpful, right. Um, okay, now, what advice do you have for a newly diagnosed chronic pain patient? Now, some say um, uh, three months you diagnose it or for much, uh, much earlier than you would suspect for that particular injury. Like we know a calcaneal or heel bone fracture can take almost up to a year, six months at least, to heal. Right. So we wouldn't call it chronic pain at four months. But I know, I know of a very, very reputable medical institution that on their website they insist six months. They don't, you know, which maybe it's just averaging out all the, the types of injuries they see. What yep. would you say to a person who's newly diagnosed with at three months or six months? What should well, I they think do? I think the one of, one of the the biggest issues I see is they they have this enormous frustration that it's not going away, and and right. they have in their mind that it has to go away, right. and I try to you know let them know that in a lot of ways accepting that this is something I'm going to have to deal with is kind of the first step because if they don't accept it, then they're constantly looking for a new treatment, a new drug, right. something else to fix it, and if you know they can wrap their head around the fact that this is likely to be here for the long term, but what we're going to focus on is managing it, uh, keeping it instead of a 10 out of 10 to a three out of 10, um, that a lot of times getting that mental shift can, can really help. You know, they, 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 they go from hopeless to like, well, maybe, maybe I can manage this. And, um, you know, for me, I, I have a chronic injury from an auto accident and, you know, I've just learned over years that when I start, when it starts getting out of control, I know the certain things that I have to do to bring it back down. And so I explained to them that, you know, you're new to this. And, and, and if the injury, if the injury is obviously going to be a chronic injury, let's say a crushed limb, but I think having just an understanding of the physiology behind it helps a lot. So I try to mm -hmm. explain how these nerves are like wires. And, you know, when you, when you injure wires and the, the installation around them, they tend to yes. fire erratically. Uh, they fire at a lower threshold. They fire when they shouldn't. And so I, you know, and then validating that, you know, I believe what you're saying. I, I understand that it's burning and it's numb at the same time. Um, but this is what happens with nerve injuries and nerves grow at a very slow rate. But here's how we're going to manage it. And then I try to point them into the positive things that they can do at home. And, you know, depending on the injury, you know, it's surprising how helpful a TENS unit can be for some people that that have nerve pain. And that's a... Right cheap non-drug related intervention that they can do um, but the new chronic pain patient the less time they spend wallowing in it why me and right. when is this going to go away and the, the sooner they can go okay it is what it is how do we manage this i think that's the first step to getting them on the on the on the right path yeah right okay um now any oh, i'll call it insider information on motivation is always welcomed right because we right. always trying to motivate people they are low energy they're sleeping poorly um, they're often weaker and de certainly deconditioned and of low mood and Oops, and anxious right all, all of the above so I personally find that for me the biggest um, uh, motiv motivators are um, simplicity meaning doable not dumbing something down but making it as simple and as accessible as possible um, 
there you are. And the other one is is um, is providing a strong rationale for each intervention or practice. So um, I personally find that simplicity, what I often call doability, able yes. to be done easily, rates highly in motivation as well as providing a very strong explanation or rationale for each practice. Well, the reason you're doing this, which may sound odd to you, because I can tell by the facial expression, I don't mention that, of course, um, but you know, and this is why you're doing it. Does that make more sense? And and if it does, that's very helpful. But do you find there's anything other than those that really increase the most? I think breaking it down, you're making it more doable, obviously, for 20 minutes and and also showing them the benefit that can be accrued if they focus on 1% is very helpful too. But is there anything else? While we no, have, I think, yeah. yeah, I think you're exactly right. I, I, do, I do try to emphasize that, you know, what I'm telling you is I'm trying to make this as simple and as easy for you to be successful as possible. Right. And I think phrasing it that way for them, um, that you have that in mind, often gets you buy-in than if you're just telling them to do something that this is the simplest form, this is the essence of, this is the minimum. If you just do this, you're gonna notice significant improvement. And then if you feel better beyond that, I encourage you to do more. Um, yes. But if I can get them to just, you know, focus on their nutrition and make at least one part of their day uh, a highly nutritious supplement laden uh, meal, then at least that's one out of the many that they're gonna have. If I can get them to do at least 20 minutes then that's 20 minutes that they wouldn't have done. And I try to, you know, tailor it to the to the individual patient. But I think you're exactly right. If we're going to get patients to buy in and be compliant, it's got to be simple. It has to be achievable. Otherwise, they're not going to be consistent. And I guess that's the other, the big one is, is consistency is more important than quality, for sure. I mean, I'd yeah. rather see them have a 20-minute poor workout then skip for three days and then give me really good 20 minutes. I just I tell them, you know, if just do it. If you don't do it as well as you did yesterday, don't beat yourself up, but try to improve by that 1% tomorrow. And I yeah. think those those kinds of, you know, phrasing it in that framework has led to a lot more buy-in over, over the years. I, I use the best efforts. I say reasonably, none of us can expect you. You'll have good days and less than good days. You do the best you can. It's liberating. No one's going to be, I even just get them to stretch and do that time. So they've allocated that time. Yeah. Because I think it's so much better than nothing. You mentioned earlier about your website, which I don't think people maybe got. If you don't mind mentioning it again, please. Yeah. Where they can find the details and any blog or contact details you would like to give. Yes. My uh, website is drzars.com. That's D-R-Z-A-R-S-E.com. Uh, I also have a podcast called the Age Fit MD podcast, uh, but the website is laid out in a way that is really essentially what we're talking about. It's it's all the stuff that I wish I could have the hours to tell my patients that I can't, mm -hmm. that I know makes a huge difference for them. And so it goes over all these, you know, intermittent fasting and and resistance training techniques with chronic injury and how to get the most out of cardiovascular training in the face of, of some sort of restriction. And then I have some information on the different uh, supplements that I recommend and why and what they do for your body. And then I have a segment on sort of home home things they can do, you, how to use a Theracane, how to do cupping, how to use an inversion table. And when you put all these things together, if, if I could it, just get them to, to do a little bit every day, um, you, you'll you'll have dramatic dramatic results over time. I've I've seen it in my patients, and you and I, you know, both know that it works. And so yeah. that's that's where the resources are. Excellent. Um, what is the most important lesson you have learned, or outstanding thing you have learned based on the work you presently do? Well. Um, you know, I hate to beat a dead horse, but the most profound is that if if we can be proactive and and instead of reactive in how we approach aging and fitness and our health, that that consistency and those small steps over time is really what counts. Right. Uh, if if we don't, then we suffer these degenerative changes, and then eventually we get to a situation where we need some sort of medical intervention. 
Um, but if, if we can be really cognizant about, I'm the one in charge of my health and I'm the one that's going to make the biggest difference much more than any doctor or any procedure is, then, then that individual is, is in the right spot. And so it's, it's interesting in that I think with practicing medicine over the 20 years, I've come full circle. And when I, when I started, I sort of felt that we were probably the most important in medicine and actually it's the patient and it's, Absolutely. it's and it's all of, yeah, we, the, we sort of the, the Sherpas and the coaches really in chronic disorders, especially, I think um, that's excellent. Um, Dr. Z, this has been wonderful, most lucid and insightful. Um, glad you do the work that you do. It's an important work that often falls through the cracks um, in general practice because there just isn't the time to do it properly. And yes. um you know, traditionally, I think uh, chronic pain patients have had a hard, uh, you know, a raw deal, basically, I'll put it the way I think. Um, yeah. And anything we can, I think it, they can just bring in the universities, undergraduate, just what it is. And this is your going out point, your your exit point, when educate yourself in this, because people don't know this. And the add-ons will, because doctors will intuitively know which trajectory or direction health lies. Uh, you've been listening to Healthscape on Voice America with your host, Dr. Trevor Campbell, speaking to Dr. Carl Zars about empowering yourself when you're in chronic pain or injury. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Campbell. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Healthscape with Dr. Trevor Campbell. We hope you'll join us again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time or listen anytime on demand on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a healthy week.